tonight there's we have a really action-packed program so it's going to be part one of next week which will be part two what is prayer and why pray okay here we go okay so i managed to accumulate seven different things that happen when we pray and there could be many more but based on my research i found seven so the point of prayer the point of prayer of tefillah is to achieve oneness right like it says in the pasuk you should attach yourself to god it's called the avoidash of right which which means the work of the heart um and it's pretty much on the similar lines and we've been speaking um this this tonight's discussion is very much going to be a extension of all the knowledge that we've had in the last four or five weeks we spoke already about spiritual makeup of words about the soul in everything um and the post of creation we spoke about purpose of creation that god wants to be attached to us both in this world and the next world and and god wants to be us to be with him in his house which is in the world to come but god also wants us to invite him to our house right if you think about that for a second that's what the ramchal and the balshemtov they have two different approaches of 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 purpose of creation but they really can be reconciled very easily the ramchal explains that hashem wants us to be with him you know for, for eternity so basically invite us into his house, so to speak, metaphorically. Um, but the Baal Shem Tov says, the purpose of creation is that we should have, Hashem should have a dira b'tachtoinim, a dwelling place in our world. And the truth is they're both 100% um, true because it's one thing to be invited to the king's house, right? That's a very big honor. You go to the king's palace and, 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 and he invites you and, and you eat a banquet and you sit next to the king and everyone sees it. it's a massive honor. But it's, even, it's an even bigger honor if the king gets in the royal carriage, packs the royal suitcase, travels across the country, and stays, eats, and sleeps in your house, that's even a bigger honor. So really, that's Val Shem Tov's understanding of creation, that God wants to dwell with us. And we spoke a lot about Hanukkah and Hanukkah, God dwells in everything. God wants us to invite him to relationship with him in our, in our world, right? Um, so the avodah believe of tefillah, as we spoke in previous weeks, is about coming one with God. Or every time you fill the, learn Torah or do the commandments, you become one with God's wisdom or one with God's will, and you give God's wisdom expression and God's will expression in the physical, in a physical world, physical expression. So tefillah is a similar thing where we're coming one with God. How do you get to be one with God through tefillah through prayer? So you get there by fighting the concealment of your nefesh, habahamis, and awakening, awakening your soul. So we know we have an neshama, right? A nefesh elokis, a godly soul. And we also have the bodily soul, nefesh habahamis. And there's a constant struggle between them, constant um, conflict between them. And we're trying to tap into our spiritual soul, to our godly soul, because when we come to Dava, and let's face it, we're coming through all day long we're just with our body we're eating and drinking and sleeping and working so we really got to try and get out of that bodily concealment that 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 um bahamis astara and try and come into tap in and quieten the mind and tap into the nevashalakis right to the godly soul okay so we used to serve um god through karbonot uh, sacrifices in the temple but now that we have lost the opportunity to serve god in the temple tfila has been put in place um, instead of the karbanot. So we had a morning karban called the morning karban tamid and the afternoon karban tamid, which, which uh, correspond to the morning prayer of shacharit and the afternoon prayer of mincha. 
And the afternoon tamid was also, um, they used to also burn in the evening some of the, um, some parts of that, of that sacrifice. So that represents and corresponds to the mar of the evening prayer, right? And um, the sages teach us that nobody, in the times of the temple, nobody would go to sleep at night in Jerusalem with, with a sin on their hands because the, the Korban Tamid was the only communal offering that was brought daily of the morning. Korban Tamid Shal Shachar would be mechaper, would, would atone for, for, for the, for sins. And the Korban Tamid Shal Ben Arbaim, which was later in the afternoon was done, would atone for your sins you did through the day. So basically people went to bed without sins on their hands. So there was this constant atonement. But unfortunately, when we've lost the temple, one of the things besides losing God's presence and the Shekhinah dwelling and God's tangible presence and that connection, that closeness, we've also lost the constant atonement for our sins, right? So Tfilah is also is instead of in place of the of the um, of the Karbanot. And it says, Whoever, and that's why before Davening we say the Karbanot, because it's as if if you learn the parasha, it's as if you have sacrificed it in, in today's day and age and we have got a temple. Um, now, moving on, tefillah also means devekus, to be attached, like we see in Devarim 1020. It says, Avoy Sidboik, and David Amelech writes until him, Vani kirat alakim litoev, and being close to God for me is good. So we don't daven, like for David Amelech is saying, being close to God is good. We're not davening for reward, right? and reward doesn't just mean uh, reward after 120. Reward means everything. We're not davening because we only we want wealth and we want health and we want, you know, simchat uh, and shiduchim and parnasah. We don't just daven for that. We daven to be close to God. If I said, like, I was actually Rosh Hashanah time, I was learning the Yosha Devere Emes, and he says from the Maskilim, which are the great Kabbalists, the ones who understand that all the Rosh Hashanah davening, which is all about Chaim, 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 give us life, 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 right? Um, doesn't mean life like give me life so I can, you know, have a nice house and have a good job and buy a nice car. That's not what it means. It means give me life that I can be attached to the source of life, the Makar Hachayim. Who is the source of life? God, right? The source of eternal life. We spoke about this many, many times. If you attach yourself to God, you become part of the eternal plan. And then what happens is if you're in a relationship with God, he will automatically give you whatever you need to fulfill your destiny. So let's think about that for a second. It's like any parent. Yeah? If your kid doesn't speak to you for 10 years, they're, they're turned 15, they move out, they go to a boarding school, they go to college, and they don't speak to you. So then they have to call you up, can I please have $100? I'm going away on a train, I need the fare, please give me $100. And you think maybe I'll give, I won't give him. But the kid who lives with you all day, your 17-year-old or your 15, 14-year-old, right? all day you're giving them food and clothes. Why? Because they have a relationship with you. So there's no question. It automatically gives everything. So when we daven, we want to daven that we should be close to God. Then it'll automatically give us everything. The morale says that tefillah demonstrates a dependency on Hashem. So this is, this is moving on to a, 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 another point, that when we pray, we talk to God. And when we learn, God talks to us. So when we learn, yeah, when we learn Torah, God is talking to us because that is God's wisdom coming to us, right? Uh, the Tanik calls it Oyer Apnimi. Where, the, where the, 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 the God's light just comes inside of us and really infuses us with his light. Um, and it starts because it's in our mind. So it, at God's wisdom becomes part of one of us. We, we're completely engulfed in, in the thought that we are thinking of the Torah. So our, our thought patterns, our, our um, 
concentration, our memory, they all become one with God's knowledge. And God and his knowledge is inseparable. God's one and his knowledge is one. It's part of him. God's will, God and his knowledge are one. So when we learn, we put God in our mind and it, it fuses our whole body with, with an internal light. Torah, it's basically a top-down approach from our mind. The light comes down, draws God's light, gets drawn down into our body, into our nefesh. Whereas with tefillah, it's a below-up approach where we try to get to that oneness Right, we talk about the yichud when you learn that you become one with God because you have His His wisdom in your mind, and it's even more of oneness than you have chas and kala. Chas and kala are, are one physical proximity, but they are two separate um, people. So, whereas with God's knowledge and your mind, they actually become one; they get completely fused together. And with tefillah, it's a below up approach where it's a vayish belief. We want to start from our heart and our emotions and then sort of draw up towards our intellect and become one with God through our heart going up, through, through our work, not just through God talking to us and we learn the Chumash, we learn the Gemara, we learn any Sefer. You, you, can, you, you have any Sefer, right? You could be in the middle of the, the uh, Amazon, right? You can be in the middle of the desert. You open up any Sefer, Tehillim, Chumash, and suddenly God is talking to you, right? It's just like your Neshama is on fire. With tefillah, it's the other way around. It comes from us. That's the avodah of the work of the heart. <clears throat> now, brachot are a huge part of tefillah, right? And brachot, it says in Exodus, Shmois 20.21, wherever I permit my name to be mentioned, I shall come to you and bless you. So by reciting brachot, we're inviting Hashem's blessings into our lives. God wants to bless us and we give him the opportunity to bless us when we make a bracha. Bracha also means abundance and gift. So we're acknowledging, we make a bracha, that Hashem is the source of all abundance, right? And when we say Baruch Atah Hashem, the commentaries explain, it, it, it literally means blessed is you God, but you can't really bless God, right? God's beyond any of your blessings. So what it really means is, you are, God, you are the source of all blessing. Baruch Hashem, you are the source of all blessing, the source of all abundance. The Gemara in Brachot 63a says, what's a small parasha that the whole Torah is dependent on? And the answer is, Bechol, the mitzvah of Bechol, Derechecha De'ehu. In all your ways, you shall know him. Three words. In all your ways, which is what we spoke about for the last six weeks. Emulate God, emulate God. Walk in my ways, emulate God. It's only two or three words. But it's our whole life. It's such a big, big parasha, right? It's our whole life of work. So Chazal instituted, the sages instituted brachot on everything we do throughout our day. We have brachot, right? Whatever we do, we eat, we sleep, we hear thunder, we hear lightning, we use the bathroom, we wake up. We go to bed. Whatever we do, we are making brachot to remind us constantly that we have to emulate God throughout the day. So the seven things that happen throughout tefillah are we acknowledge, we depend, we're grateful, we crown, we prepare ourselves to receive, we connect as one, and then we can request. So I'm going to go through those slowly. So one, we acknowledge Hashem with our brachot. Right? We, we acknowledge Hashem without tefillah. In fact, ha'olam, baruch atah Hashem, Hashem is the source of a blessing, Elokeinu melech ha'olam, the God and King of the world, Ha'olam also means Helem, hidden, meaning God is concealed in nature. So we are acknowledging that there is the Yudke, Vavke, which means Haya, Haiver, God before, now, and after, beyond the realm of the Tzimtzum, before any concealment. There's just God in His simple light, infinite, infinite light. 
And then there's God after creation, which is Elohim, right? And that is God in concealment. We acknowledge that Ha'olam, God of the world, is God of the hell and God of the hidden. God is in everything, right? We spoke about everything having a Shema. We spoke from the, we spoke a few weeks ago about the Shema and every single thing um, has a Shema that, that gives a life and holds it together. We spoke about the atoms and the electrons. And if for one second the electron would start spinning, electromagnetic force would cease, the whole world would be the size of the P. And just the matter, all the matter will be the, the world with the size of the P. And we talk about time only exists inside matter. So the Neshama keeps everything going. The Neshama is God in everything. Just today, our eyes look at the external um, klipah, the external case or, or the externality of the object. But the truth is, when Mashiach will come, we will see God's presence in everything. So the first one was we acknowledge Hashem. The second one is we show our dependence on Him, which is from the morale. We show our dependence on Him, right? Dependence on Him for life, for returning our neshama, for our sight, for our energy, being healthy, using the bathroom. Everything we have, bracha. First thing we say is, So we show our dependence on Hashem, right? That if not for you, I wouldn't be able to use the bathroom. God forbid someone, if they couldn't use the bathroom, right? They wouldn't live very long. So on every single detail, when we say the brachot in the morning, we say, uh, you gave me strength and all of the blessings that we say is to acknowledge that we can see and we can hear and we are healthy, right? That's, we're acknowledging that we are dependent on God. Number three, we also express gratefulness, which is hakaratatov, and that's one of the biggest things that the Torah tells us to do, is to be grateful. We spoke a few weeks on Shabbos about gratefulness is so important, like Rivka, that's how Avram Eliezer chose Rivka because he knew that if she was grateful and if she, if she had kept others in mind, she was sensitive to others' needs, then that means that she would be aware of someone else's chesed with her and she'd be grateful for that, right? Um, which is how you come to acknowledge, Abraham came to acknowledge Hashem through, being, through seeing the world and, and being grateful to Hashem. Such a beautiful world. There's a story of Aaron of Kalin. One Friday night, he's sitting at the, the tish, big rabbi's tish, and all the chassidim are there and one and, and Rav Aaron is served a, an apple. And he says the blessing, And one of the Hasidim, is, one of the students there, was thinking in his mind, how am I and the Rebbe different? We both make brachot, we both eat apples, we're the same. Right? What's the, what's the big difference? And Rav Aaron, in his great holiness, picked up the thought of the student, of the, of the, of the Hasid, and he said to him that, when I make a bracha, my intention behind it is that I think about taking a little seed, planting a tree, the tree that lasts for decades and decades, produces lots and lots and lots of beautiful fruits, the life of every leaf, the, the, you know, uh, all the roots of the tree, how nature is, is working on such a sophisticated, complex level, right? And then I think to myself, wow, how can I praise God? So I take the fruit. So the difference between me and you is, you are hungry and you want an apple, but in order to eat it, you have to make a bracha. I make a bracha and eat the apple to praise God. Right? You praise God to eat the apple, but I eat the apple so I can praise God. That's the way he looked at the world. That's the difference between him and, and the chassid. We also crown Hashem. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. There's no king without an emelach b'layom, no king without a nation. So when we say, and we recognize and acknowledge, Baruch HaTashem, like, the God and the King of the world, when we make him our King, crown him our King, right? 
we are Mamlech Hashem, and that's how Hashem has his kingship, because the Jewish people crown him. Number five, tefillah also, from our end, makes us into a kli kibble, which means a vessel that's ready to receive, right? So we have to prepare ourselves for God's basking light to be able to receive that light. And we do that by appreciating Hashem's exaltedness and separating our ego, right? Letting go and letting God. And it happens through uh, meditation, this, and also which means trying to get out of your, of your ego, and trying to get out of the physical, physicality and trying to focus on Hashem. We'll talk more about that later on. Number six, we want to become, make a yichud. It's okay, yichud, like with Torah, become yichud in your mind with God's knowledge. So here, with your heart, starting with your heart and your emotions, really feeling it and going all the way up to your mind to become one with Hashem. And that happens in Shema. We'll discuss that later, how that works, which is also the vehicles being connected. And number seven, once we have achieved all of those six, those six prerequisites, so to speak, and we've, and we've come to the point where we're one with God, we have the yichud with God, with the yichud room, now we can ask what we want, bakashot, right? We can now ask from God what we want. So it's an actual process. Before we go further, I'm going to talk about when we can pray, just so that everyone is clear, because I'm going to, we've discussed brachot, and we're going to discuss the morning service, which is the main service, uh, uh, when I say the main, the longest service of the day. So we're going to go through the service and show how everything is a, um, the, the Kabbalistic the Kabbalist Hasidic Masters explain it is the secrets to getting the keys that open the king's inner chamber, right? So you've actually got to enter the gate of the palace and walk through, the, you know, the ballroom, and then you've got to actually get into the king's inner chamber to be heard. So that's the process that our great sages of the Great Assembly, Archdeacon um, Sagdola, that they that they programmed for us so that because they knew how we could, our fillers will be answered faster. When can you pray? The answer is you can pray outside of the three times that everyone is meant to pray. You can pray whenever you want. In fact, Rabbi Nachman of Breslev explains that what he calls his spoiledness is the highest asset and, and it's greater than everything. To set aside for oneself at least an hour or more for secluding oneself in some room or a field and using claims and excuses speaks, speak one's mind with one's maker, using words that evoke favor and conciliate in order to entreat and plead with God that he bring one closer to him to genuine divine worship, right? So, and he says, um, interestingly, uh, this prayer and conversation should be in, in, the, in the language one normally uses, right? So it could be in English or, or French or Arabic, one's native tongue, because it's difficult for a person to say everything he wants in the holy tongue. Also, being familiar with that language, one's heart is not moved by the words, as we are not accustomed to speaking Hebrew. But in our native tongue, in which we normally speak and converse, it is much easier and so more likely for one to feel contrition. This is because the heart is drawn to versus native tongue and it's closer to it. Okay, so he's saying that we should do this every day. Everything that is in your heart, you should express to, and tell God, whether it's remorse, repentance of the past, please to generally merit to draw closer to God from this day forward or the like. Each individual, according to his level, should speak to God. One should be very careful to make this a daily practice at a scheduled time, but the rest of the day one should be happy, as mentioned above. No matter what a person is lacking in worshipping God, even if he's totally and absolutely distant from God's service, he should speak about it all and ask it of God, as mentioned above. So what Rabbi is saying is that let's not think 
that tefillah is um, limited to what we are talking about now, brachot and shacharit, mincha, marif. No, tefillah is in any time, any language, pour out your heart, speak to God, ask God, beg God. If you have any issues, you think God's not telling you fairly, just speak to God. And he even says that, he continues that even if you want to speak to God and the words won't come out, but even trying is enough because you're coming before God and you're, and you're acknowledging God and saying, I want to talk, but the words won't come out. Okay? So we now we know that tefillah can be done anytime, any place, any language. Tefillah also has a lot of health benefits, which we spoke about a few weeks ago on Shabbat. And that is that what? What does the gratefulness, the acknowledgement, the appreciation, the dependence, what does all that lead to? That leads to a broad perspective, right? Eli wants to be grateful. It leads us to be grateful, to be appreciative, and to be humble, which automatically translates into being happy and calm, right? So our perspective automatically translates into our, into our emotional state. Again, our perspective translates into our emotional state. If we are self-centered, then we become ungrateful. We don't appreciate anybody around us. We become unappreciative, which leaves us constantly unhappy and stressed, right? And when things don't go our way every second of every day, that's a lot of stress. So the narrow perspective, the self-centered perspective, translate into a life of constant stress because nothing's always going our way the way we want it to be. But if we have a broad perspective, and we appreciate others, we're grateful to others, and we understand others, we consider others, we're sensitive to others' needs, then we will be more grateful, more humble, and that will lead us to be happy, calm, and relaxed. Okay, so tefillah gives us that broad perspective, right? The world doesn't revolve around us. We don't make ourselves we don't give ourselves life every second. We don't give ourselves the ability to see. We don't give ourselves the ability to hear. We don't give our bodies the ability to function healthily. That is up to God. But we have to do our best. You have to exercise and you have to um, sleep and eat. But at the end of the day, God decides every person, right? What, 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 how long their life is, how healthy their life is, right? We have to acknowledge that. If we just acknowledge that, it should be the most basic thing to acknowledge, except our ego gets in the way. But any, any five-year-old understands God gives us the ability to see. It's like, imagine all these people that walk around unhappy, right? So you say, okay, if I gave you a million dollars, would you be happy? I gave you $10 million, would you be happy? Yes, you would. For how long? I said it would help. Help. For how long? For a week, two weeks to be happy, right? But, but what I was trying to say, I'll give you $10 million on the condition that you don't, God forbid, the person won't, won't wake up tomorrow morning. Would, the, would you take the $10 million? No. So what you, you wouldn't. So what you're saying is that one day to wake up in the morning is worth more than $10 billion. So why are we not walking around all day happy and smiling, right? It's just, it's our ego that gets in the way that, that makes us forget and make, makes us feel self-centered. Okay, let's get into the juicy stuff, the Kabbalah behind the process of tefillah. The 22 letters of the Aleph base. Now we spoke a few last week or two weeks ago about the source of everything in the world and the soul and... The way the early Kabbalists explain it is that there is a um, underlying spiritual structure where the physical outer shell just serves as like the outer covering of the spiritual essence and spiritual nature of the thing. So they call it a, they call the, the physical substance the Choymer and the spiritual the Tzura. 
So everything we said that we have a table, an object, it comes from the spiritual source, which is the letters, which God created the world, Shindlam and Chesnon. So now we're going to talk about that in more detail. So this is, this is stuff that is taught by the Shari Chodem and by the Hasidic masters, the Tanya and the Yosheh Dira Emes, etc. Now, the 22 letters of the Alephes, Chof Beis Oisius, 22 letters, right, are the Kalim, they are the vessels through which God constricted his infinite light and are the source of everything that lives in the world. Okay, so in order for God to create the world, he had to go, he had to go through a, 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 a heavy symptom process, constriction and concealment of God's infinite blinding light. So like about turning off all the lights in the room to be able to see the projector. If you want, if you want to see the projector screen, you've got to turn off all the lights and shut all the windows. So you're not going to see the projector. So for us to have the perception of independence from God, God had to conceal and constrict his light. And he does that through creating the Chof Beis Oasis, the 22 letters of the alphabet. They are the vessels to which God's light is contained and they then are the source of all life in the world. Right? And it starts off as a spiritual spiritual life and then it emanates through all the worlds. We spoke about Silabriya Siranasia, all the all the worlds, and it and then it takes on a physical expression in this world with a physical form. So Shudlam Khasnun, a table, takes on a physical form, physical expression as a table that we have in this world. God's breath in his words of creation, we spoke about right? He never drew and he became a living, talking being, Adam. God blew into Adam and God when he when we saw God blew, his essence came out. God's immortal essence it went into man and that became man's immortal soul. So when God spoke, right, speech is external to us. So our essence is in our um, breath. Uh, in our breath, our essence comes out, right? But with your breath, you create words and speech and those and, 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 and the words are external to you, but they contain your essence. So Think about that for a second about the soul and the guf and the shama of everything. The oire loiki inside everything that God spoke. So the words became external to him, but they contain his breath. So everything has a soul. But with God, when God spoke and when God speaks, his words, although they are more external to him than his breath, they are still with inside God because nothing exists outside God. Unlike humans, when we speak, the words are gone, right? We say, when you say something, you can't take it back. But also what it means is when you say something, it's not yours, it's gone, it's out. The breath is out, you've exerted the breath out of your mouth and it's gone. With God, even when he spoke, yes, he created the perception of physicality that emanates from those, that's those, those, sorry, from, 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 from the words that he spoke to create the world. But nothing ever exists outside of God. So God's words still are inside of him. They just have, just, they give the perception that we can exist independently of him. They're more external God's words are more external to him than his breath. Okay? Because the breath is the essence. It's interesting that the Arizal, the Ariya Kadosh, the one who expounded on the teachings of the Kabbalah, but we know that if, um, the Arizal's teachings, that the Neshama gives life to the body, to the guf. So somebody asked the Baal Shem Tov, if the Neshama gives life to the guf, to the body, then why, how does it help us to eat food? Because the food is feeding the body, not the soul, but the soul is what gives life. The soul needs sustenance, right? That's a good question, right? Good philosophical question. 
So listen to the Baal Shem Tov's answer. Okay? Baal Shem Tov answered him like this. What does the Torah say? Loi, and I heard this from Moshe Wambler. Loi ala lechem levad yichyeh ha'adam. Not on bread alone does man live. El al-kol shumaitzi pi ha'ashev yichyeh adam. But from everything that comes out of God's mouth does a person live. Said the Baal Shem Tov, in everything in the world there is an ashama. Meaning, in every apple there is the tzura and the chayma, there is the nevashaleki, the godly light, and the clipper and the, and the shell, the physical apple. So in everything there is an ashama, a soul, and a guf. So you don't live, not on bread alone do you eat the external loaf of bread that you bought from the bakery. No. But the, but the piyashem inside God's word and God's light and God's soul, the godly soul inside of every object, of, of every apple, of every orange, of every glass of water, the soul that, that, that gives that object life that that soul feeds the neshama. That spiritual light, that spiritual oil, that soul feeds your neshama. That is how your neshama gets sustenance through eating. Now, you have a choice to acknowledge that when you make a bracha, right? I'm acknowledging that God's given me life. I'm acknowledging the soul and everything. I'm acknowledging the world isn't a superficial. I'm not just a physicalist. I just I only believe seeing, I don't see past my, my own physicality. Or you can choose to pretend that be self-centered, that you're the source of all life and you're the source of everything. But we know how foolish that is, right? Even a five-year-old understands that God is sustaining him every second and giving him life and health and et cetera, et cetera. Moving on. When you tell someone your thought, okay, they can't see your thoughts, right? We're going to talk about symptom now. They can't see your thoughts. They can't see the clarity and the oil, the, the clarity, the, the light that's in your mind, right? But rather, you express your thought through your words. But that undertakes a symptom process, right? a constricting, cons- concealment and constriction process, where your thought is then limited to words. Okay, so let's explain this to you. Okay, so think about trying to explain, the truth is it happens to everybody, but let's just take a, a good example, a clear example. You want to explain a deep scientific or a deep Kabbalistic principle or concept to a young child, right? How are you going to do it? You can't give it over the way it's in your mind. Right? You have to restrict your knowledge, right? hold back, restrain your knowledge in your mind and your thought. That's the way it presents in your mind and your thoughts so that they can receive it right? in a way they can understand it. So this is the Simpson process. And then you can give over the constricted light of your, of, your, of your mind, of your thoughts through speech where now they can unpack it and try to rebuild it. So in your mind, it's like um, pure light, clear, it's, it's deep, it's, it's simple. But to give it over, you have to really, you have to go through several symptom pro- process where you really um, constrict it and, and you have to package it in a way that the five-year-old can then understand it and then take your words, which are external to your thought, and then try in his mind to unpack that and somehow come back to the lesson that you were trying to teach him. And that's really what happens in every lecture when the lecturer is giving over to the students. The students are not always getting what's happening in the lecturer's mind, the oil of, 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 of the lecturer's mind. There's a symptom process, but hopefully the students, if they're good students, yeah, will be able to then unpack it and rebuild it in a way 
that they're understanding what the lecturer is trying to communicate with the same clarity that is in the lecturer's mind. But that's the Simpson process. Right? It's also the other way around, making sure that the lecturer is also doing it in a way that the students can understand. Absolutely, of course. Otherwise, yeah. they can't. That's the whole idea. Yeah. It works for both ways. Yeah, both ways. If the lecturer gives blinding light, then the, the student won't be the clear kibble, won't be the vessel that can receive. So that's part of being a good lecturer, to be able to understand how to give your information over that everyone can understand it. So now that we understand that, this is very, very important from the Yoshida MS, and he explains, your breath isn't an empty, futile thing, but it has your soul's expression and spiritual light in it. Okay? Like we said, Hashem blew in Adam, Hashem blew in Adam, and God's essence came through his breath from deep within Hashem, went into Adam and gave Adam an immortal soul, eternal soul. The Targum explains, Targumunkles, that when God blew into Adam, he became a Ruach Amale, a talking spirit, a talking person. King Solomon teaches us in Shira Shirim, chapter 5, verse 6, that Nafshi Yotso Vidabri, which means that my soul goes out with my speech. So on a simple level, it means, you know, um, we had a happy conversation, we had a, we had a very a conversation on a soul level, deep meaningful. But what it really means, says the capitalist of Sigma Masters, literally your soul is expressed through your breath. Your soul leaves through your breath. If your soul leaves through your breath, how does the neshama not die? Because if my, my soul, when I speak, it's an expression of my soul. My, my soul goes out my words, then why does the person not die when he speaks? So the Baal Shem Tov explains... And we said about a few weeks ago, what is a human soul compared to? Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. A human soul is compared to a flickering candle. Now a candle, if you take another light, we said Hanukkah, right? You take another light from the candle, another light from the candle, another light. Does the candle get extinguished? No. You can do, do it as many times as you like. The candle's not going to go out. So too when we speak, because our soul is compared to a candle, the candle of God, we can speak and speak and speak and we don't get extinguished, so to speak. But we have to know and understand and appreciate that our words are literally coming from our soul. They are expression and the soul is contained in our breath. Now, what happens is, is that when you speak, your essence is expressed, your soul through your breath. And that creates the words and the letters and the words and sentences. But those letters that you speak, they connect to the letter of the Chafes Oasis that God created, right? So God created Chafes 22 letters. And those letters are way above in, in the higher worlds, right? All the way at the top with God. And then they come down through Atsira, Briya, Atsira, and Asiya. So now we are at the bottom of the chain. So when we speak through our breath, we're trying to get our word with the expression of our soul, so the spirituality of our breath, to co- reconnect to the spirituality that is coming down, the spiritual light from the four worlds. Right? We're trying to get that to reconnect. So, so it comes down. But we, through our speech, are trying to reconnect it from a below-up approach. Before we talk more about that, let's understand the letters. Okay, so the letters we said, there, it, every letter has a, like a human body, is a guf and a shama, a soul and a body. The letter also has the surah and the chayma, the shama and the guf. So let's understand this. So the Yoshida Eros explains this, that your name isn't the real you. Your name, if I say, do you know y'all? Do you know Shimshon? Do you know Ruvain? Right? Is Yol, Shimshon, Ruvain the actual person? No. 
that is just the external name that we use to try and relate, right, in our mind about, with, about whom we're talking about, about what we're talking about. But the name isn't the actual person, so to speak, when we just say a person's name, right? I'm not talking about spiritual makeup. I'm just talking about generally, you say uh, Yossi. Yossi isn't the words Yossi, right? The name Yossi. Yossi is a person, so we just refer to him as Yossi. So it's the same is true with the letters of the, of the Alapes. So the name isn't the you, neither are the letters that we have. They're not a true representation of the spiritual letter that is in Shemayim, in, in heaven. Your soul isn't your body, but it looks like and takes on the form of your body whilst in the body. But when it leaves, it's obvious that it never was the body, that the soul and the body do different things. But God created the image of the body, that the soul should dwell upon the body and fill it and take on its form while the body is alive. So too with the letters and words, the soul and spiritual energy of the letter takes on the physical form of the letter that we have in our physical world. So in our, we call it Olam Gashmi. In our physical world, the lowest world, we have Aleph Bet. Aleph Bet that look like Aleph and Bet. So those letters, just like we are not a true representation of our soul or a name is not a true representation of our body, so too the physical letter that we have is not a true representation of the energy of that spiritual essence of the Aleph or the base. It's just a physical representation of it. Clear? So the goal of Tfilah is to draw down, to draw from this, the, the source of the letter, right? We spoke about a few weeks ago about the Sadiqim, they're able to do this. But the idea is to draw down from the source of the letter, the source of the Aleph, which is in the highest world, the source of that energy all the way down through this world. So how do we draw down that spiritual energy, that, that spiritual light? So the more concentration and feeling, right? Kavana, Mashava, and Ahava, Vira, emotion and feeling that we have the more we draw down the light and the spiritual power into the letter or word that we are saying, then it shakes the Aleph rope. So even though it's very far away from the, high, the, high, the highest world of Aleph, but when you shake a rope at the bottom of the rope, it pulls the rope at the top of the rope. So when we say Aleph with the right emotion, Kavana, intention, feelings, we pull that Aleph rope. And our letter can then fly up as well. Our letter can fly up and reconnect to the source of the Aleph energy and generate the desired results. What we're doing when we daven is, we have basically, uh, we throw out some process. So the letters, the essence are in a, a very high spiritual place, right? They come down through concealment and restriction, the, the letters, energy, the letters, light, letters, spirituality, then a shamat, we get restricted and restricted and restricted and restricted. The human soul also gets restricted because the human also has, a, has five levels, right? The nevesh and the ruach, which are here, the neshama, which is in our head, but then the neshama goes up at night and bridges the gap between the chay and the which is above us. It's it's a, it's makif. It's it's a light that is that surrounds us that hovers over us. So the, the levels of the neshama. So the letters also have have levels. So they come down. The, the spiritual essence of the letter comes down. The spirituality of the letter comes down through the world. And when we say the letter from the lowest world, Gashmi, where we don't see any spiritual lights, it's all concealed. We, out of our breath, which is our neshama, so the breath contains the spiritual light, the oil of our neshama, right? And that forms letters, and that spirituality connects, so to speak, to the lowest level, the spiritual light of letter that has emanated all the way to our world. So we're trying to connect the two and shake the bottom of that rope. 
And the more concentration and more kavana we have, the more feeling we have, the more dvekist we have, right? The more oneness and yichud we have, the more we are going to be able to get that letter to go all the way up to the source and shake the rope so much and it goes all the way to the top and reconnects to the source and then can generate what we're asking for, right? Which is why great tzaddikim can basically say something and it happens. Bam. Right? They decree and God makes it happen straight away because they are actually generating the results. They're not asking for them or waiting for them. They're generating them. You with me? Yeah. Okay. Your spoken words are created from your soul, but your words are the final product. As the process of the words formation starts in your mind, in your machshava, right? In your thoughts. It then descends into your understanding, your bina. Then it progresses down into simple sound without any form. So it's called a koil ha-poshot, a simple sound. But then through the five apertures of the mouth, the five parts of the mouth that are used to produce sound. So then what happens is, is that the words are formed. Okay, so we're going through, this is, this mirrors God's creation of the symptom of the four worlds. This mirrors it, right? The highest level is the initial idea, what we want to, we want to say something. Then we think and we formulate what we want to say in our, in our bina, in our understanding, what, how do we want to say it? Then we try to say it, which is a simple, simple sound, but before, before it takes on the five apertures of the mouth. And finally, the word is the final product. So it goes through those four levels of tzimtzum. So what are the five uh, um, apertures you have? Uh, the three gutturals. Gutturals are from the throat. Okay, what are the three gutturals, that come, sounds that come from the throat? You have aleph, ayin, and hay. Then we have three labials, which are from the lips. What are the three labials? We have pay, mem, and base, or bet. Then we have four palatals, which are from the raising of the tongue towards the palate. The four palatals are gimel, chof, yud, and kaf. And we have two linguals. Linguals are from the tongue. What are the two linguals? They are tes and nun. And five dentals from the teeth, which are zayin, samach, shin, tzaddik, and resh. So those are the five apertures that we use to produce, to form and shape the words coming out of our mouth. Just like the spoken letter doesn't take on the same form when it's in your mind, or when it's in your bina, or your machshava, or the simple sound, so too... This can be compared to the four spiritual, the four spiritual worlds where the letter descends in those realms. It's not the same physical letter we have in the world of Oil written on paper. So that's what I explained to you. So the same way we can understand, says Yoshidur Emes, we can understand that when we say the word, it's not the same as the word when it's in our minds, right? It's different when we say it than when it's in our mind, the way that it's, it's form, in its form. So too, the physical form of the Aleph that we have in the Torah, that we have in our Chumash, in our, in our Siddur, is not the same letter as, we, as, the, as it is in the four worlds as it comes down. Now, sick words that have some level of concentration and feeling can be carried home by the Tzadikim. So if we don't have the right intention, Kavana, like for example, they give us an example, there, I'm asking an example, like someone who's on a um, Everest exhibition. They're climbing Mount Everest, right? So, so they're, they're going with all their equipment and they're carrying all, every, all their food and their tents, everything. Now, if someone is sick on the way, what are they going to do? Everything humanly possible to get the person home. Someone broke a leg, someone is sick, someone is dying. Everything humanly possible. But if, that, if someone got to be died in the middle of climbing Mount Everest, what are they going to do? They're going to bury him there, right? So says the Yoshidur Emes. It's the same with prayer. If your prayer you try and you put in some sort of effort and some sort of kavana and some sort of thought, then the tzaddikim, the righteous tzaddikim, they can bring it home for you. 
it can carry it home for you. But if it's totally empty and dead, what does it say? The dead can't praise God, right? So we have to make sure that we do try. And this, what we said, this process of the four, of down the four worlds, of going through our thoughts, our bina, understanding, then the koela pashot, the simple sound, and then the five yitzira, and the five parts of the mouth being asiya, also represents God's name. The first, the machshava is the yud, and the bina is the hey, and then the sound, is the vav, and the fine, and, and, and when you say the five aperture of the mouth, you produce the finished sound, that's Elmasia, our, that's hey. So the process is bringing God into this world, right? Bringing, so basically, as we said, God withdrew his light and concealed it all, the thumps and everything. And our job is as the student to unpack it and then reconnect, connect God's light to God's light that's coming all the way down, reconnect the spirituality to the spirituality, to the chain of spirituality that each letter is manifesting and that emanates from each letter into our world. We want to reconnect the two. We're the very bottom, right? We're, we're living in a world of concealment where we don't see the spirituality. We don't see the source. But our job is to reconnect our letters, our words, to that the bottom of that spiritual chain. And if we do that, we generate the, the, the required outcomes. Now, don't think that spirituality and words, um, don't be amazed at how powerful they are, Why? Right? Because what do we find? We find that it says in Amos Dalet Yud Gimel, Ki Yotzar Harim, Ovara Ruach, Umagid Adam Basechai. Meaning, see, God formed mountains, He forms mountains, creates winds, and He recounts the person what were His deeds. So, think about that for a second. The, the wind blows and moves mountains and rocks and boulders, right? And heavy stones. The wind comes. Now, what, what seems much more physical, much, much more, and much stronger? A big rock, a big mountain? But the wind comes, which is much more spiritual, much more ruchni, and it blows away. And they explain that, it, and God did that as a kindness, that, that those mountains and those rocks protect the, the towns, inhabitants, from the hurricanes and tornadoes, etc., the heavy winds. So you see how wind is something spiritual. And even the verse um, refers to this when it says that it says, Yoitzer Harim formed mountains, but boy re ruach, he created the wind. And what's a higher world? Atzila and Bria. Bria comes before Yitzira. So by wind, it says Bria, which is a higher world, a higher spiritual power. So the power of our speech is so powerful because spirituality is very powerful. The, the Gemara Chagia tells us, 5b, that even Sichakala, small talk between, spoken between a man, a husband and wife, will stand before judgment because talking is, 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 is more spiritually powerful than doing. Doing is external to you. You can talk more than you can do, Right? And you can think more than you can say. And therefore, thoughts are very, very, very powerful spiritually, and speech is very, very powerful spiritually. And that's why Ramesh Mahmoud explains that today's issue of online content and all the, non- the proliferation of non-conscious content is so bad because what happens is, is that if you do something wrong, that's an external action. It's just external to you. Someone does something wrong, right? Accidentally, they did something wrong. So now that's an external action to them. It stays external to them. But what happens if someone's whole mind is essence is in the Shema is totally hijacked and absorbed with non-kosher content online or terrible thoughts. That is much more spiritually damaging to the person because it takes over his whole, it takes, it takes over him, um, his entire being, both on a physical level, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it takes over his whole essence, his whole being. That's how we say that Shmirat Brit, it says it is kosher, the Ainashem Nikola Veris and 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 explains that it's kosher, meaning not that it's 
the worst punishment, but it's, it's the hardest in God's eyes, the hardest sin in God's eyes. Why? Because you, you disconnect from God in your essence. If it, it's, it's internal to you, right? It's not there's something wrong, even something really bad. So it's, it stays external to them. They stole or they, they did something bad, right? So then it's external to them. But if someone's whole essence, their whole mind is consumed and hijacked by non-kosher material, non-kosher thoughts, right? Non-kosher, anything, music, uh, whatever it is, books. Yeah, then the whole neshama is now uh, um, taken captive and they can't have a relationship with God. They can't look God in the eye. So that's why it's so hard. Thoughts are very powerful, more spiritual and then, then, then words. And words are more spiritual, more powerful than deeds. So don't be surprised, says Yeshua Emes, that your, that your words are so, so powerful. To finish off, on this note, Yeshua Emes explains, and it's also brought down by the Chalas Alvavis in Shara Cheshman, chapter 3, that tefillah without kavanah, tefillah without the right intentions, without the right feelings, is like a body without a soul, a good without a neshama. And the Yeshua Emes explain, expand this and explains the following, that Think, follow, follow what we've said till now. Everything has a soul and a body, a guf and a neshama. The neshama is inside the body. Okay, so what is the neshama of your dibur, of your speech? It is your machshava, your thoughts. Your thoughts become the soul, the life of your speech, of your words. And what is the neshama, the life of the machshava, of your thoughts? That would be the emotions that you put in right? The feeling that you put in the Havah Nira. The emotion becomes the neshama of the thought, and the thought becomes the neshama of the speech, of the word. So if your tefillah, if your speech lacks the required life force in it, it's not going to be productive and achieve the required results. So obviously, the more refined your speech throughout the day, not just when you daven, throughout the day, no Loshon Hara, no Nivul Peh, no um, decadent speech. The more defined your speech, the more defined your character. Yeah? The more powerful are your tefillot and the more, and the more effective your prayers will be. And therefore, we can, therefore, you end up like Baba Sali, like Ben Ishchai, where what happens? Your tefillot actually generate. They, they're, they're not, you're not asking or trying to attract. You're generating with your own words. You're pulling the Aleph energy, the Aleph power, and you're combining words and refuah, and your words say refuah, your, your words say panasa, your words say shidduch, and suddenly that energy comes down because you have a very refined uh, character, refined mouth, refined mind, pure thoughts, kedusha, tahara, holy, pure, and when you speak, your soul comes out, that spiritual energy from the essence of your soul in your, contained in your breath connects and, pu- and connect, reconnects to the spiritual source that comes down from the word Aleph. Now you're pulling the, ch- the, the, the rope, the bottom of the chain, and your words can now generate. So that's for tonight. We'll take questions. Next week, we will talk about the science, as in the scientific research that shows how our words actually create life or destroy life. Like Shalmanach writes, we're going to talk about some studies done by a Japanese researcher by some Israeli researchers. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. We'll talk about the law of uh, conservation of mass and energy. Nothing dies. From a scientific point of view, nothing dies. We're going to talk about words in images. They've done um, experiments. Some Israeli engineers, they've developed some of the advanced Israeli um, warfare aircraft. They have done some experiments and they managed to produce 3D images of the Hebrew alphabet, which they couldn't do for other languages. So 3D image of the actual word is actually creating 
Your word is like God, creating something from nothing. So all the science is going to come next week, but we have run out of our hour. So if we have any questions, please feel free to unmute and ask. Earlier in the presentation tonight, you talked a bit about uh, employing your your own uh, native language yes. uh, for prayer and it body. And, um, and then later on, you went to you know, quite some detail into articulating the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and how the sort of um, uh, an ascending order of, of effectiveness. Absolutely. In using that and whatnot. So how do our non-Hebrew pet prayers compare to that? What sort of experience can a person expect if they are not using Hebrew? But, um, well, for many people, they can do both, right? They can do the actual tefillah, shachrit mincha and marev in the Hebrew, and then throughout the day, they can, they can just communicate both. Uh, but if I could just get in there, um, you also talked about, uh, the, you know, to have the correct kavanah. Yes. About behind your prayers. If you're only saying Hebrew by rote and not by real understanding, then where is the balance in that? Right. Absolutely. So someone has to go and, and, um, it's, it's upon them to do, to look at, get an English, uh, an English um, prayer, uh, prayer book, a Siddur, and get books about Tefillah and understand everything before he starts to Daven, right? So if someone, mm. people should be doing the homework before they come to Daven, they should really be understanding what they're saying. That's, that's, that's what they should be uh, on. The, that's really that's, a combination on the. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's just a bit more difficult. You know, if you're like me, who can be in the congregation and striving after the Hebrew, to, to to keep the flow of the liturgy as it's going, and yet not really understand everything you're saying, because there's big gaps in it. And I know that I'm not alone in this. Yes, absolutely right. And I, I honestly um, am not in a position to tell you what is preferable, whether you should, I think you should ask a rabbinical guidance and find out maybe if we personally in your situation, it's better to say some of it in English or in your native tongue and mm. less in Hebrew, but I'm really not in a position to, to comment. Uh, it's beyond the scope of my, um, but what I can say is, is that for those who can do both, that's amazing because then you get both. You get you can do it in Hebrew and you can do during the day on your own. But if, if whether or not during the actual service to do it in English Hebrew, that's something you should ask your local rabbi. Uh, okay, I'll go ahead and get him now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> You're set on the living. Okay, thank you all for coming. Super excited for next week. We'll discuss the science behind uh, prayer and how it works on a practical level. Yeah.